Welcome to the Talking Total Farmer Health Podcast from AgriSafe Network. At AgriSafe, we work to protect the people that feed the world. We do this by supporting the health and safety professionals, ensuring access to preventative services for farm families and the agricultural community. Today's episode is brought to you by the Network of the National Libraries of Medicine, Region 3. For the past year and a half, it feels as if we have gotten a lot of mixed messages from the news and social media on what products can help prevent, treat, and cure COVID-19. Maybe you heard somewhere that ivermectin is one of those products. We decided to investigate these claims to find out what exactly ivermectin is and what it's used for. You know, ivermectin has been around for a long time in in veterinary medicine, and it's an important uh, drug. It is an FDA-approved product for a number of different animals, including horses and cattle, swine, and dogs and cats. This is Dr. Jeff Bender, a veterinarian for both small and large animals, epidemiologist, and director of the Upper Midwest Agricultural Safety and Health Center. It is an anti-parasiticide. In other words, it kills parasites. So things like the lung worms and stomach worms and brown worms, as well as mange mites. I mean, so it's really an amazing drug and has very specific purposes in veterinary medicine. Most people who have heard of ivermectin know it as a drug just for horses. And for a lot of people, they may recognize it also as a heartworm preventative for their dogs. It often used, you know, that monthly pill that you would give uh, to your dog. So it's an incredibly important veterinary product. Now, you might be wondering, if ivermectin is a veterinary drug, then why are there claims that people can take it to treat COVID-19? Well, it has to do with the emergency use authorizations for COVID-19 vaccines and the long process it takes for scientists to find and test different potential products. You know, one of the things is to try to come up with with treatments and preventatives as quickly as possible. So as scientists, you know, we explore a number of different questions about which products might be useful. And, you know, when the pandemic started, there was a long list of products that scientists say, okay, hey, we're going to we're going to explore these possibilities that, that might affect this virus. And so, you know, we've been going through that list in a sense. And ivermectin is one of those products. There's a, a really a formal approval process to really evaluate which products work and which don't. And so ivermectin is one of those ones that actually is, has been of interest just because there's been some what we call in vitro studies. So studies in cells where it looks like it inhibits the replication of the virus. And this study came out, you know, last year. Johns Hopkins notes that vaccine development and testing process often last 10 or more years. So one year is barely even in the beginning stages. But without that knowledge in mind, it's easy to jump to conclusions. And with those one year studies. People jumped and said, well, this has got to work. But I would really caution that this is very early and there's very limited data and it needs to go through a really a formal, what we call peer review process to evaluate if it works or not. So that's actually part of why it came about or why this interest in ivermectin has come about. And it is just one of many products that are being evaluated by the scientific community, do they work or not? We have some other new, newer drugs that have actually gone through a farther along the approval process that are approved. For ivermectin, it's, it's very much in its infancy. As I mentioned, there was a, 
what we call, uh, you know, an in vitro study. So it wasn't done in animals or humans, it was done in cells. And so they were able to demonstrate that the virus, they can c- control virus replication, and it was a very high concentration. And it's not safe or sustainable for a human being to take those high levels of ivermectin. It can be toxic. So again, that particular author, they really cautioned and said, hey, this would require further research to see if it actually is beneficial as a potential treatment. Also, there are some very small studies. So it's in the order of hundreds of people and maybe thousands that have documented maybe reduced mortality uh, in its use and a shorter hospital stay. But again, those are really small numbers and we really need to be very cautious. And again, you know, these products need to be uh, used under the guidance of really a qualified healthcare provider. These are not something that people should take off the shelf and try to do. That the veterinary product is not approved for people. It is dangerous. And actually, we've seen reactions in, in people that are, are taking these products. They're not innocuous. They, they can cause uh, problems uh, for a number of different people, just like in animals. We, you know, we don't want them to be willy-nilly used in animals. There are some animals that are highly susceptible to toxicity to ivermectin. And so some people may have these same type of things. And so, again, we want a qualified healthcare provider really be the one who prescribes any product or any treatment, especially for COVID. And there are approved treatments that have been shown to be a success. And so we want to encourage people to do that. Have you ever gotten a diagnosis and wanted more information about it? Maybe you have a question about a farm injury. Check out MedlinePlus.gov, a resource for health information for patients and their families. Brought to you by the world's largest medical library, the National Library of Medicine, MedlinePlus.gov gives you a high-quality, relevant health and wellness information that is trusted and easy to understand. Their information is available in both English and Spanish and free to you at any time, anywhere. On MedlinePlus.gov, you can get more information about a variety of health topics, read about a medical test you may have to take, research drugs and supplements you may be interested in, plus much more. Check out MedlinePlus.gov today to learn more. So you may be wondering, if there are better doctor and scientist approved products to help treat or prevent COVID-19, then why are people still taking ivermectin? In the veterinary realm, we've been using this as an anti-parasiticide for a long period of time. But also on the human side, there has been shown to be some approved label uses uh, for humans, specifically in some conditions that occur, especially in tropical areas like strongyloides or uh, river blindness. Uh, so these are conditions that we, we generally see and actually are approved for the use. It's a, it's a much lower dose than what, uh, you know, is in a veterinary product. But again, they're, they're approved and they're very specific for these particular conditions that are being applied for. And so any use outside of that realm is, is dangerous. And we really want folks to be very cautious. One, to not use the veterinary products because they're not really, they're not labeled for people. They're not approved for people. But then also recognize that the, the, the human products have very specific indications and that really a qualified physician or healthcare provider needs to prescribe those for that particular condition. That might explain where some confusions come from, if ivermectin is okay for humans in some circumstances but not others. But we already established that the needed dose to potentially have any effect on COVID-19 in humans would be toxic and dangerous. So what else is going on here? Why are people taking medications for reasons other than their medically approved purpose? Does it really all boil down to misinformation or misunderstandings? 
you know, the pandemic has been an interesting phenomena on, on the human psyche. And that's actually been something that has been very interesting for me to observe over, you know, the last five years or so with how information is shared, really to understand human behavior and human perceptions and the evolving nature of that as we look at communication in, in general. As a scientist, as a veterinarian, you know, I go by facts. I go, well, this is what at least I understand when I look at this. And But I recognize that many people don't, they get their sources from varying sources. And, and you know, these are might not be the same sources that I get my, my information from. And so I think that that has uh, led into, you know, just where people get their, their information. I think that that's a critical piece. The other thing is that with the pandemic, there's fear and fear drives us to, some sources that we would we may not or that we're not getting the, the complete picture and it also gets to an issue of trust and so how do we make sure that we have trusted resources that we're getting information from so i think the combination of how we're getting it the type of information that we're getting and then also the trusted resources are all part of how we get information and so to our, our producer community and in, in our farmers and our farm workers and farm families, you know, where, the, where they're getting the information, I think they need to ask that question, you know, is this somebody I can trust? And generally, you know, my, my, quick, my first recommendation is, is, you know, try to go to your qualified healthcare provider to give you the best information or to guide your, your information, especially if there's confusion, just because there's so much misinformation out there. This is Sarah Dotrieve, AgriSafe's web technologies librarian. Something important to remember when looking at medical or scientific information in particular is that it's written for a specific audience and with a very narrow purpose in mind. There's an entire language you'll find in research that's really hard to understand when you haven't been trained to understand it. And these researchers are writing these journal articles for other researchers, so there's an assumption that the reader has the same level of training that the author has. But when that isn't the case, there's room for a lot of misinterpretation. And while misinterpreting information isn't a new problem, there is much more opportunity for this misinterpretation to have major impacts on society. Researchers talk about their research with other people in their field through these journal articles. And these journals often cost hundreds of dollars for just a handful of issues and aren't the type of thing that you're going to find in the grocery store checkout aisle. Typically, these are purchased by special libraries. However, that used to require a trip to a physical location where you have to find the information. And then that information isn't as easily shared outside your personal circle of influence. The internet allows us to access information that was just physically harder to get to in the past. And it also allows us to make connections with more people and in more places than we've ever been able to do before. So the impact that a misinterpretation can have is much greater and happens much faster. Dr. Bender talked about fear driving how we gather information. Sarah says this is really important to consider, particularly when making health decisions in a pandemic. When you're in a situation where you're driven by fear or some other emotion, you're more likely to make decisions that aren't backed up by facts. The fear, the grief, the isolation, the frustration that this pandemic has brought us all is expected and real. And it's okay to feel any of those things or all of those things. But that can cause us to seek out information that gives us the facts we want to trust, not the facts we have. Being aware that our emotion can cause us to make decisions not based in science-driven facts will go a long way in helping us make good choices about what information we trust when faced with a lot of misinformation. It seems like a good thing to say, do your research. 
But the reality is we can't all individually understand all things all the time. We need producers who know how to successfully provide us the food, fuel, and fiber we all need to function in society. We need meteorologists to tell us when a hurricane is coming. We need mechanics to fix our vehicles. We rely on experts in our communities to focus on what they are experts in so we can be experts in something else. And we get so much more accomplished this way. So when our medical and public health experts give us important information, it's important that we believe them. So where can we go for credible information? So again, public health and our community health uh, leaders, they need to be seen as, as trustworthy resources. And so we need to share what we know in that regard, especially this community needs to emphasize what uh, kind of approved, authorized and recommended treatments are that people can go to. Ivermectin is an approved to treat parasites. It's not approved to treat COVID-19. So just a reminder of what, what we know uh, ivermectin does and what, and, and what it's approved for. We do know that vaccines are safe and effective. I know it's a kind of a controversial area, but we do know or document that, you know, we can keep people out of hospitals. We can keep them out of the ICUs for the majority of folk. Um, we know that there's some questions about waning immunity and those type of things. But again, vaccines are safe and effective. And then also, you know, that we encourage engagement with our healthcare providers. So community leaders and public health leaders to continue to work with our healthcare providers and give them the resources that they, they, they need. The other thing I think that we need to remind ourselves as healthcare providers and community leaders is that, you know, people are fearful and that we need to be good listeners and to listen to their concerns, listen to their fears. There's a lot of concern about trust in government. So, you know, we need to engage and listen and then provide a, a, you know, a resource that is responsive to those concerns and hopefully gain back the trust of our community members. And again, to really encourage those folks to seek information from trusted resources, um, such as their healthcare provider. I think that's a great message to end our show on. If you want more information about ivermectin, vaccines, or other COVID-19 related information, check out our show notes. Thanks, Dr. Bender and Sarah, for joining us and answering our questions. And thank you to our listeners for taking some time out of your schedule to listen. Thanks for listening to another episode of Talking Total Farmer Health. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear more from AgriSafe on the health and safety issues impacting agricultural workers. To see more from AgriSafe, including webinars and our newsletter, visit agrisafe.org. This episode was created by AgriSafe Network with the network of the National Library of Medicine, Region 3. Written and transcribed by Laura Siegel. Hosted by Abigail Cars. Edited by Joel Sharpton. Special guests were Dr. Jeff Bender and Sarah Dotrieve.